Good morning. So we are in our vision series, as you can see on the screen. We are the Crossing Church, Gospel Center Missional Communities. If that wasn't what you're looking for, you can leave now. I'm just kidding. I think it's imperative that we take time to really consider what does it mean to call ourselves the Crossing Church? What does it mean to say we're gospel-centered? What is a missional community? And I think there's no better way to do that than to consider the story of God. And so this vision series is focused on that very story, the story of creation, the fall of man, the, the wandering in the wilderness, the rebellious idol worship, the breaking of a covenant, the, the Savior stepping in and, and being the sacrifice we needed him to be in order for us to be brought back to our Father and, and resent on this mission. And, and then the coming kingdom that, that we will all be, finally be free from sin in one day. Um, this, is, this is the story of God, and, and this is what shapes the purpose of the church, the mission and the vision of the, the capital C church throughout history and the Crossing Church. And so we have decided to take some time to slow down and, and really examine that story so that we had an introduction to that last week. And this week we're going to look at that first part, creation. Who is this God of creation? Um, and more specifically, why did he create creation? And, and there's no better place in Scripture to go to to find this than Genesis chapter 1. So if you'll open your Bibles there, we're, we're going to walk through just some selected verses from there, but I'll, I'll try and summarize if you're unfamiliar with the story, um, just so that we don't have to uh, break down the entire chapter and be here all day. And really, when I started this, I intended to go in a different direction, so I feel like we could preach sermon after sermon on this chapter, and I hope that you see it as full of richness as that as we read through it. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And it goes on with this similar rhythm. It's a poem. It's a song of creation. The similar rhythm goes on to talk about waters in the heavens being separated on day two. And then, and then separation of the land from the sea and vegetation that produces fruit that recycles and, it, and that produces fruit, and the fruit has seed, and the seed produces fruit. God builds this rhythm into creation, day three. And then the stars are placed in the expanse of the heaven. Separating day from night, God places the sun and the moon to govern the night and the day. And now we have this means by which we can measure time in day four. And then creatures are placed in the sea, and birds in the air, and the ability for them to reproduce, and cycles continue Day five, and then the creatures of the land, the livestock, the beasts of the field, the, the creepy things that creepeth the earth, the King James Version. And this poem reaches the epitome of God's creation in verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This beautiful song of creation reaches its climax and then comes to an end. This is kind of the bridge of the song, if you will. Bridge is always my favorite part of the song. It's when things get really emotional and everyone sings out, especially worship music. The bridge is where it's at. Here, we have the bridge of this song of creation and he brings it to an end in verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. In chapter two, we see it goes on. Day seven, God rests. And then we zoom in and we see Yahweh creating man and woman up close and personal. And unfortunately, we're not going to get into chapter two today. We're going to stay in chapter one, but there's loads of information packed in there. What what it says about us being created in the image of God and, and our stewardship over God's creation. But it's so important that we zoom in here on chapter one to see who is this God? What has he done? And who are we and what are we to do in light of that truth? The creator sees his creation. It's very good. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no evil present anywhere in this creation. There's freedom and goodness alone to be enjoyed. And he is enjoying it. We have shalom in this beautiful creation. But there's something to get into because it doesn't stay there. We're not going to go there. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Help us this morning. We know your word to be life-giving. Show us this morning. We know that, that you are the God of creation, that you have placed stars in their place and, and, and put the world in motion. And you are intimately involved in everything that goes on here. You are sovereignly in control of it all. But help us this morning to believe it. To not just hear this familiar story and want to move on, but let us sit in it, to think on it, to meditate on it. Let this knowledge of who you are drop down into our hearts that we would sing forth with creation the praises of your glory. Thank you for this body. Help us as we seek to know where you have us go and the mission before us. You would be honored in all of it. In Jesus' name. When we consider creation, when anyone considers creation, the most pressing question usually is how? Right? So men, men and women throughout history have always been trying to figure out how. How did anything get here? How did any of this become what it is? And so it's hard to really press into the why that we need to look at when we focus so much on the how. How is important But it's important to note the how question can often be a distraction, though it's intriguing from the question why, which is probably more important for our faith. It's probably more important for shaping the mission of the church. So we're going to get into the why this morning, but until we get there, let's talk about the how, because Genesis 1 is not the only creation account in the world. In fact, throughout history, there's been mythologies, there's been religions, there's been theories put out there as to how we got here, why are we here, is tried to be answered by answering the question, how do we get here? The only problem is 
there's not a theory outside of Scripture. There's not a, a mythology. There's not a religion. You can search. You're not going to find one that answers the question, why? They all answer the question, how? And many of them fall short of answering it. So to give you some idea, just to generalize, ancient mythologies, think whatever mythology you want to think of, ancient religion, even modern Eastern religions, focus a lot of their energy on multiple gods, and there's some sort of cosmic behavior that was happening between the gods, whether it was a war or whatever, it can get weird. There's a lot going on with these gods, and somehow the earth has formed out of that chaos, or out of that out of that battling, the earth rose from the ashes, or, or humanity came from the blood of a spilled God, or spilled blood of a God. These are actual ideas. The only problem with those are there's, there's no intentionality there. There's no purpose there. It's consequential. It's accidental. We have earth, that's how, but there's nothing to answer the question why. And if not that, there are some, some monotheistic beliefs that say something more to the effect of there was a God who was lonely. And from his lacking, he created. There's even some sects or, or denominations of Christianity that believe in this God who is just lonely. And he needed somebody to love him. He needed someone to worship him. But our God doesn't have a need of that sort. He's not lacking in any way. So it still doesn't answer this question, why? Hopefully, it's not because he was bored. There isn't a sense of purpose in these theories. None, none with beauty of Genesis 1, certainly. And, in, and modern, modern theories are more scientific, more focused on the natural things. And so uh, there's this idea that everything is mechanical. Nothing has spiritual purpose. Religion can't answer the question. So science has stepped in to kind of be the answer. And everything's material. All that matters is what you can measure, what you can test, what you can see. What, what, that's reality to the scientific mind in Western thinking. And so things still don't answer the why. They can't even really answer the how. In fact, there's no basis for morality. There's no basis for purpose in these theories. They're empty. Whereas the ancient mythologies focus on the spiritual. And in fact, they would say the escape from the physical is salvation. Modern theories more likely are to focus on the physical. And how do we understand the peak of physicalness? And though we don't know why, I mean, science, the best it can do, to be fair to science, in case there's some scientists in the room, to be fair, the best science has is the Big Bang Theory, but in itself is not an explanation for creation. Big Bang Theory, not to be confused with the TV show. Some of you, some of you should know. The show is based on something. Anyway, the Big Bang Theory, all it really does is measure as far back as you can go before creation. There was this hot, dense state nearly 1,400 or 14 million billion years ago, according to the theory. Some of you are going to be singing that theme song for the rest of the day. The hot, dense state, the size of a peach, the entire universe, the size of a peach or a small grapefruit or an apple. It doesn't really matter what kind of fruit it is. Really small, two fists together. And for some reason, there was this moment where it cooled down and expanded and atoms were produced and then boom, the universe or bang, the universe. So that's only measuring to, I think scientifically, 10 to the power of 34 seconds, however many decimal space that is, to the beginning, but it's still not the beginning because they don't know really what made that happen. So it's just a theory based on quantum physics that I don't understand. So, okay, we'll take your theory for whatever it is. But to be clear, some of the most brilliant of the brilliant minds in quantum physics 
like Albert Einstein and Isaac Newton would say there's some point where they don't have answers, so they defer to some supreme being, whoever he might be. So that's what science offers us, just to make sure everyone knows. Not even fully answering the question how, and certainly not answering the question why. Theology alone provides answers. Whatever theology it is, some theory of God has to provide the answers for creation itself. And the Bible is the ultimate source of all knowledge and information, in particular in the case of the origins of the universe. Scripture alone provides the answers that we are seeking long before any modern science or scientific theory presented an option. The Bible has already written it down. In many ways, science is catching up to the Bible and figuring out, oh, yeah, we all came from an ancestor. We humans share share a human ancestor. The Bible said this long ago. In many ways, Scripture has already answered the questions being asked. But looking at Genesis... The account of how, the answer is clear. God created. That's the how. We may not know exactly how it happened, but God created. And as Scott pointed out earlier, this word create in the Hebrew word is translated from nothing something came. So there's your answer. Whatever followed that, we can have some flexibility. New earth, old earth, I really don't care. Those are how questions. Why is what matters. Rather than making it all about the physical, as science does, or making it all about the spiritual, as ancient mythology does, Genesis 1 presents a case in which both physical and spiritual are relevant and meaningful. God created, who is spirit, and creation that is physical matters to him. He says it's good. He enjoys this creation. How then can we say, let's do away with the physical and seek the spiritual? When God created it to be good. I hope you know that we're not, we're not seeking a day when God says, let me rescue you from this horrible place and bring you to a spiritual place that's happy. We're not going to a safe retreat. We are retreating in God who's bringing heaven to earth. He will recreate all things. Certainly there's something broken, but God restores it all. The physical matters and it's good. It's a false doctrine to say that enjoying Things enjoying creation somehow makes you less holy when it's actually God's design that we would enjoy it. At the same time, we don't live for creation. We aren't to be controlled by created things. We're not worshiping these idols. It doesn't shape our lives. We're aware of them and we put them to death because our hearts worshiping God in all of creation, whatever you enjoy, you worship God is supreme, but we were created to worship. So we're going to We're going to give in to temptation to worship things and we repent to worship God because ultimately we find our satisfaction in Him. He fulfills us, not His stuff. So to refer to last week, we're here, so let's be here, but let's remember who our King is. Let's remember the God we serve. Now the culmination of all of this, the, the physical and the spiritual, the culmination of it all, beautifully and perfect, came together in the incarnation of Christ. Jesus is the is the example of the spiritual meeting the physical and perfect union despite the brokenness in the world. And that's why he is our perfect model for how we live our lives as the church. We celebrate, as Jesus did, we celebrate the grace of God in all of life. We enjoy God's creation while at the very same time grieving the brokenness, knowing something is off, 
fighting the injustice, working towards restoration of all creation because we see it mattered to Jesus, so it matters to us. It's evident, if you look at the life of Christ, it's evident that he brought the proclamation of truth into every space he entered. We as the church bring the proclamation of truth into every space we enter. But it's also evident that he cared about the physical needs of people. He brought food. He brought healing. He brought deliverance. He brought love. He brought a good time into every space he entered because he cared for the oppressed and the impoverished and the marginalized. He perfectly represents what's true and what's right. At the very same time, he also represents what's good and what's loving. He had compassion. This is the picture of the church. In your minds, wrestle with it. Figure out how the spiritual and the physical both matter as we follow, follow this model that Christ has laid out. All of that, everything said so far, all of that falls under this question of how things are. I'm just telling you what it is. That's how things are in creation. It's kind of unavoidable to answer the question how. But unless we seek to understand why our faith cannot be shaped. You're not going to find stronger faith if you only answer the question, how? There's not going to be an answer given to were, were humans living with dinosaurs? Were fossils already there? Did dinosaurs, did they even exist? Were fossils just in the earth so that we would think they exist? People, there's theories out there, okay? Is the earth the center of the universe? Is it flat? I don't know. It does not matter as much as I do know, okay, just so you know, it's not flat. It does not matter as much as the why question. I'm pressing you to think on the why because why gives purpose. In the mission, it is the why that matters most. What God created matters. How God created matters. But why he created matters most. So why would God do this? Why has he created everything? What's the point of it all? Why are we here? Thank you for asking so I can finally get there. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, this darkness isn't, isn't evil. It's just chaotic. This darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we have in this creation story, God... Most often, God proper points our minds to God the Father. And we have in this creation story, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, hovering over the face of the waters. It says, it says while the earth was without form and void, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Interestingly, this Hebrew word for hovering is a feminine word, maternalistic, of a mother bird opening her wings over her children or chicks, whatever you call them. The spread wings of a mother bird over her children should make you think nurturing and protecting and, or teaching them to fly, whatever the case. What we see clearly here is the intimate involvement in creation of the Holy Spirit. You may not think often of the Holy Spirit involvement in creation, but the intimate involvement of the Holy Spirit drawing near, hovering over the waters, nurturing creation, the Spirit is also present in chapter 2 as God breathes life into Adam. It's the breath of God is the Spirit of God. And so we see the Spirit and the Father. And how did God create? With His words, He spoke. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, and things became things. Out of nothing, we cannot even get there in our minds, out of nothing, if you're imagining 
blankness. That's still not nothing. That's something. Somehow there's nothing. And God spoke. He didn't didn't then go turn the light switch on. He just spoke. And there was light. Something happened when he used his words. Just told it to be, and it was. I'm repeating it in different ways so you can be in awe. God spoke, and there was nothing, and then there was something. In the book of Hebrews, verse verse 3 of chapter 11, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. His words have power and authority to create. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the beginning, which is where we are in Genesis, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Now, John is personifying word, the word of God. God's word is a person, and the person is Jesus. And everything was made through him. You can also read this in Colossians chapter 1. Everything was made through Jesus. He is the hands who makes as God speaks. He is the word that's present with God in the beginning, along with the Spirit hovering the water. God, Father, Son, Spirit. This may help us go back to Genesis and understand verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. In all of chapter 1 of Genesis and in the, in the first part of chapter 2, the word for God is Elohim. Now Elohim is a plural Hebrew word being used in the singular. So Then Elohim said, let us, he's talking about himself in the plural in case you don't follow grammar very well. He let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, whose image are we made in? God's, not the angels. So he's not talking to the angels. We're not, they're kind of freaky looking. So I'm glad we're not in their image. He's not talking to the rest of creation because we're not made in the image of the beasts of the field or the trees. We're made in the image of God. So, wherever you fall theologically, it's very evident that creation is Trinitarian. The God of creation exists as us in the Trinity. Three persons, one God. We're not getting polytheistic. One God, three persons in loving unity. Why did I go through all of that? Why does that matter? Where am I going with this? Again, great questions. There is need to see the Trinity in creation to answer the question, why? Where polytheists and and mythic creationists believe in multiple gods spilling over into an accidental world and where science has these theories of an accidental macroevolution that still doesn't answer the question how, monotheists, even some Christians, have this lonely God who lacks community and just really needs fellowship, so then he creates man so that somebody will worship him and then he's all of a sudden complete somehow. True Christian doctrine has an intentional God lacking nothing, needing nothing, existing in Trinity 
This triune God, the tri-unity of God exists in community, not just any community, but a loving community who makes much of himself, perfect in every way, delighting in his perfect contentment. The Bible speaks of a God who gives an answer and a beautiful one to this question, why? Why do we have creation? Because God, three in one, was making much of himself. He was enjoying his own beauty. He was praising his own glory. He creates something out of nothing as an overflow of this loving community. It spills out into creation because there was so much goodness. There was so much joy. It burst forth into creation. Boom or bang. God existing, the creator of everything existing perfectly in community, loving himself. It may sound weird to you, enjoying himself. It may sound like, no, that can't be God. We're not supposed to love ourselves that much. Well, the African theologian Augustine says, if God is love, 1 John 4, 8, there must be three things, the lover, the love, and the beloved. How can this be without Trinity? So from love, God created As a community of love, he created to bring this nearer to us as a missional community of love, he created. Missional how? How could there be mission if there's no need for redemption yet? Great question. You guys are right on top of the question game this morning. How can there be mission if there's no need for redemption? Excellent. God gives it to us. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything, every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you see the mission? God's plan is and always has been to increase the community of love. The universe declares the majesty of the creator, but only we, the people of God, those made in his image, can praise his glory and enjoy his beauty. We, the church, embody that love as the Trinity embodies that love. He puts his glory on display in the sky and in the earth for us to enjoy. He creates us in his image to rule over it and enjoy it. He charges us, his image bearers, to be fruitful and multiply, filling the earth and subduing it. It has always been the declaration of God that his glory be the the most we can seek, his glory be the top of everything, his glory be the ultimate, the supreme. It's all about his glory in all of life and in creation, but it's a result of his love spilling out, pouring out into creation. Why do you think we're so moved by nature? Why do you think we feel the emotions of music? How do you think it is that we're so connected to the physical things? Is it to stir our affections to worship stuff? Is it to stir our affections to be in in awe of the flavors of food or the beat of a song or the rhythm of life or the smile of a child's face? Is it to be about the things or should we be stirred to be in awe of God? to worship his glory, to be about him as he is about himself in all of eternity. But everyone 
hearing all of that, everyone, no matter who you are, throughout history, senses that there's something off in all of this. Creation is broken. The beauty that is to be isn't in existence. The loving community that humanity was supposed to exist in certainly isn't happening. Even within the church, there's brokenness, there's division, there's pain, there's discomfort. Somehow, creation is off. And we don't have to go into chapter 3 to see the fall of man for, for me to show you it. You feel it. You know it's true. There's this barrier we can't seem to get past. We're constantly seeking to be satisfied in stuff because we know there's something missing. We, the image bearers, have forsaken the mission. And rather than ruling over creation and filling the world with the glory of God and praise to His glory, we have instead decided to worship it. And we have filled our lives with stuff. We've allowed creation to rule over us. It has become our God. This is laid out in Romans chapter 1 if you want to check that out later. You don't have to look very far to see that this loving community of God currently is not existing. You can, you can feel your own selfishness, but you can also just observe the selfishness in others. You can see how it's hurt you. And even in the church, many story after story of people who feel neglected and unloved by the people of God, where the love should exist. There's a present brokenness in the world. And everyone in this room, I don't have to go around and have individual conversations. I know it's true of everyone in this room. You find yourself habitually seeking to have your flesh satisfied by things in this world, only to be left empty again and again. Yet, for some reason, even after this proclamation of that truth, we will all continue to fall into those same cycles again and again. Struggling with the same fears and anxieties, struggling with the same lustful temptations, hungry for the same monetary or materialistic gain. We, we wrestle with our own demons and our own selves every day because how God has purposed it, how God has answered this question why, the reason he's created us isn't existing in the community. But there's hope. Praise God, there's hope. Praise God that with that being said, we're not buried under shame. Though every person who's ever lived has felt the incompleteness, the lacking, the brokenness, so too has our Savior. Christ chose the brokenness, chose the incompleteness. Christ emptied himself. Christ served. Christ beaten, broken. Christ nailed to a cross became sin, our substitute, so that we could find all that we're lacking in him as it was originally planned. It was necessary in order for us to be made whole, for him to be made broken. Jesus, having been God of creation from the very beginning, stepped in, took on a physical body, became flesh, and then was broken and hung on a cross where he cried out for the God of creation to deliver him from that moment. There was silence. God did not speak. His word was not heard. Where he was beaten and broken, he was made formless and void. 
The Spirit of God was not hovering over him. He was totally forsaken. He was not seen as good. He was seen as sin, and sin is despised. Rather than being the light that shone, he hung on a cross as everything grew dark. The cross, Christ on the cross, is, in essence, creation in reverse. He was undone in order that we might be made new. As Adam, the fallen man, is the father of us all, Christ is the new and better Adam, taking on sin and putting it in the grave once and for all so that we can be made new, so that our community can be made new. So we join the choir of creation in singing the praises of God in our very existence. We, a missional community made up of many missional communities, continue to bring this gospel in truth and in righteousness to a world that desperately needs to hear truth and see righteousness. We bring compassion and love and goodness to a world that needs compassion and love and goodness. But also within our own existence, what proclaims the loudest that we belong to Christ is that we love one another, that we are hospitable to one another, that we care for the needs of one another, that we would lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters, that we would give anything to see love flourish here, that the world would see us and love would be the most defining thing because love is what's most defining about our God. That we would go out of our way to talk to each other when we gather together that we would go out of our way to serve one another when we see there's need, that we wouldn't just think what's best for me, but we would constantly be thinking of what's best for my brother and sister. How can we make much of the love of God as he makes much of his love? How can we make the glory of God known in Monroe and in West Monroe as he makes much of his own glory? How can we exist in such a way that the mission of God initiated in the beginning can be continued in the world? knowing that our only hope in doing so is Jesus, who took it all on and on the cross bore the weight of our sin that would divide us. He took on everything that would destroy our love. Moreover, he has recommissioned us to this mission as the risen Christ, victory over sin. He has sent his disciples out to make disciples. That's us making disciples in all of life to create a culture that is all about disciple-making so that Christ would be worshipped. So let's join in this mission, filling the earth with the glory of God, which is found in loving, serving, seeking to honor one another in every way that we would grow in that love, that we would worship our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your glory, for your goodness, for your love. I thank you for the initiation of all things in your creation. Though we have in many ways made ourselves fools by turning to sin and worshiping creation, I praise you for the grace. I praise you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. That you have done everything necessary to buy us back as individuals, to bring us together as your body, to commission us to this mission that you have sent us on in the beginning. Help us, Lord, as we are weak in every way in need of more and more of your grace. Let us be a people who would encourage one another in it, that we would push each other 
back onto mission again and again because there we find our purpose. There we find the answer to why we're even here. Be worshipped in all that we are. Be worshipped as we enjoy your creation. Be worshipped as we live on mission, as we sacrifice, as we love. Let us find all that we would seek in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.